0: The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. So glad that I'm here this morning. Such an honor to get to share with you. You know, in the, in the Gospels, when anyone approaches Jesus for healing, or if they're wondering how to heal someone else, Jesus always says to them something like, As you believe... It will be done unto you, or by your own faith, you will be healed. And a lot of us in metaphysics we uh, interpret this to mean that whatever you believe, you will create for yourself. Uh, which there's a lot of truth to that. But our founder Ernest Holmes uh, found what I think is a, a deeper meaning. You know, he would take this statement: "It is done unto you as you believe," and he would emphasize the as. The idea being that our connection with the divine isn't something we locate, it's something that we activate through our own consciousness. As you believe in the Spirit, the Spirit is done unto you. As you believe in divine grace, divine grace is done unto you. As you believe in God, that spirit is done unto you. You don't have to find it out there in the cosmos. You activate it through the cultivation of your own faith, your own belief. There is a powerful good in the universe greater than you are, and you can use it. So it's not do you believe, it's it's, as you believe. And You know, it's probably a secular way to find out if someone is religious or not to ask them, you know, do you believe in God? But what someone's answer is, to me, doesn't always show what their spirituality is. You can say to someone, do you believe in God? And he might say yes, but then he goes about, you know, cursing how hot it is and watching the news and thinking, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and struggling somewhere in his life, wishing, just hoping if there was only someone or something I could turn to for support and guidance. You could ask someone else, do you believe in God? And they could say no, but they may only say no in the way that they're rejecting this idea of a, of a Zeus-like thunder god in the sky. And they may go into their lives in absolute gratitude for the connection and aha, an ahas, feeling connected to the ground of being. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but for me, you know, one's religion is, is, is better defined not by what they say it is, but how they live their lives, Right? when spirituality um, isn't what they theorize about, it's what they practice and what they uh, embody. It's not do you believe, but as you believe. I love some words um, from Robert Fulgham, a Unitarian minister that speaks powerfully to me, not only this idea of living your spirituality, but how sometimes we get so defined in our religion, almost like a, a political partisan person, that we forget the practice and what it means. He says, the older I get... The less attention I pay to what people say or think or hope. I notice what they do, how they live, and what they work for. There is an unresolved argument in the arts and in politics over whether one's words are to be judged in regard to one's life. I come down on the side of integrity. The life validates or invalidates the words. Sound true? Oratory is empty if it has not been field-tested on the battlefield of experience. And I have little use for those who write beautifully and live sordidly, or those who withdraw from the world and issue instructions for how to live in it, or priesthoods that deny the realities of the flesh but wish to control the appetites and activities of those who live as whole human beings. If you don't play the game, you can't know enough to make the rules. If you are not engaged in the sweaty work of the world, you should not be in charge of the deodorant concession." And if you cannot find a way to aid progress in human affairs, then know that the snirking cynicism of the sideline critic is a form of plague, and to be one of those is to be a carrier of death instead of a preserver of life. It's not... Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Mr. Fulgham. It's not do you believe, but, but as you believe. We lost an, an incredible human being in John McCain yesterday lost to the, the ages. And he, he said something not, not that long ago that I found quite, quite powerful. He said, there is nothing greater in life than when one gives themselves to a cause greater than themselves. There is no greater act in life than when someone gives themselves to a cause greater than themselves. And that to me is what makes Mr. McCain so great because he gave himself to that cause of his country, both in military and in political service. But we're all called, no matter how you choose, to give in to that cause greater than we ourselves. You could be a teacher, it could be as a parent, and it could be to the divine good, being willing to be a, a channel to that. And the trick is, and McCain didn't say it this way, but I believe it's this way, is when we give ourselves to a cause greater than ourselves, we discover ourselves. We are ourselves. Where I have shown up in my life wanting to be blessed, I've fallen right down on my butt. But where I've shown up to be a blessing, I have been so freaking blessed. (laughs) Where I've given myself to a cause greater than myself. I've been given all the wonders of my life. How about you? How about you? Yeah. (laughs) Mother Teresa tells a story of receiving a phone call one night and hearing about a a family in a local village that was starving. And she shares that her her heart just broke when she got there and she saw um, eight children malnourished. And she had a bag of rice, and she gave it to the mother. And the mother immediately uh, was putting the, bo- the water to boil, and she put the rice in. And then she, she took the, the other half of the rice, and she just left the house. And she was gone for like 20 minutes. And she came back, and Mother Teresa asked her, Where, where did you go? To my neighbor's house. They are hungry also. They are hungry also. And Mother Teresa shares, it wasn't the generosity of the woman that surprised me because she shares that, that poor people are often the ones that are the most generous. It was that someone who could be feeling and experiencing that level of physical suffering could think about someone other than themselves. And what I love about that story too is Mother Teresa doesn't take the time to let us know if the woman's Hindu or Catholic or Jewish or Buddhist. It doesn't matter. What matters, yes. What matters are the virtues she embodies. What matters is that she believes in this presence that we can spend the rest of our lives trying to define and theorize, folks, but either we're living at one with it or we're living away from it. It's not do you believe, but as you believe. Now, if you were to ask me, Uh, Reverend Josh, do you believe in God? I better say yes being a minister, right? But uh, can I be really honest with you? You promise not to tell anybody? If you were to ask me, Josh, do you believe in God? I would say sometimes. Sometimes I believe in God. And I'm willing to be honest because I bet it's true for a lot of you too. The answer is sometimes, sometimes. When Reverend Barry's singing, Surely the Presence. See why I'm not trying out for choir. <laughs> when Reverend Barry's singing, Surely the Presence, and I'm in this awesome sanctuary, hell yes, I believe in God. You put me on traffic when I'm late for an appointment? Ugh, It's hard to believe in God. It's kind of funny because the words get mixed up because when I'm feeling like I can say, yes, God. But you ever notice that when you're in a situation that's tough? You go, oh, God. And that... That statement is more of a, of, a, of a statement of your disbelief than it is your, your belief. You know, when I'm in my meditation chair, that 15 minutes in the morning, yes, I believe in God. When I'm in that dentist chair, or that chair I'm not looking forward to being in, that's where I'm struggling. And so that's where my spiritual work is. And that's where I would argue your spiritual work is too. I love and will continue to nurture all those places where I experience God. But where I am called is to begin believing in those areas where I believe in something greater than God, that there's no such thing, that fear, that worry, that need to be right. Where in your life have you not let God in? Where in your consciousness have you shut God out? Where in your relationships are you unwilling to surrender to a higher power? that can bring you love, harmony, strength. I don't know about you, but I no longer want a relationship with God in theory. I want a relationship with God in practice. I don't want to talk about God and the possibility of God like I do with questioning if there's life on other planets. I, I want to embody a sense of that spirit, a sense of that wholeness, and to live it more emphatically every day. How great is your God? How deep is your God? How big is your God? Do you believe in a God that can perform miracles in your life? Do you believe in a God that can heal? If not at the physical, at the soul level. Do you believe in a God that says hello in the connections that you make? That in the hidden heart of who you are is always rejoicing. How great is your God? And remember, it's not a question of locating God, it's a question of activating a belief in the sacred, in divinity, in the beauty of life. We turn it on and off. On and off. Let's leave that that switch on, especially in those tough places. Especially in those challenging places. Especially in those areas of, of not just where we love ourselves, but where we're hard on ourselves. Let's learn to embrace and experience the divine, not just when we're expressing in our wholeness, but even in the depths of our feeling broken. Embrace that divine spirit, that divine essence. Speaking of this idea of of not locating the divine, but activating it in our life, uh, I want to talk about a pragmatic way to to claim the divine in your own experience. And so I'm calling it today uh, the what, where, when, and why of God. And when you can know your what, your where, your when, and your why, you can embrace a greater experience of the divine in your everyday life. And for me, The what of God is truth. The what of God is truth. I struggle when I try to um, picture God because sometimes I can experience God as a fatherly presence, and I, I love that. I don't dismiss that, but I know it's more than that. Sometimes I experience God as that groovy energy that binds us all together and feels really good, but I know God is more than that. Gandhi said, You can find God in even the smallest drop of the ocean, and yet not even the seven seas can encompass God. For me, I want my God to always be the highest truth, because I know for me, God can be anything, anywhere, anytime. There was once a, a woman who was at a spiritual retreat, and she was struggling, and She raised her hand and the spiritual teacher was there and she said, I I like so much of this stuff, but I just, I'm an atheist. I don't think I can believe in God. And the, the teacher turned to her and said, what is that thing that you love most and are most devoted to in your life? And she answered, my infant son. And the man shared with her, then your son is your God. By that, he didn't mean start worshiping and build idols to your son. She meant, he meant, might as well have been a she. Um, where you practice your devotion, where you practice your love, where you create the sacred. That's where God is. That's where you will always find that spirit. And so for me, the substance of God, the what of God, is always the highest truth. And it's so easy to get caught up in mistruths, right? To get in a, in, involved in a truth that isn't God's truth, but someone's manipulated truth over you, sometimes the the um, incorrect laws of state or, or country, uh, sometimes the uh, incorrect self esteem, the rules we put upon ourselves. You know, speaking of Gandhi, he was a great example of someone who saw God fundamentally as truth. He said, "Truth is God, and God is truth." In that order. And when he was living in, in South Africa and he saw uh, British colonialism going on and it was, it was discriminating against those Indian people, his, his heart woke up. This is not the truth. This is not how people should be treated. So he began to protest. And I think we, we find all that in our lives. You know, We may not be ending British colonialism and freeing the Indian people, but it may be uh, saying no to a manipulative relationship. It may be saying no to mistreating yourself. It may be standing up and protesting for a cause that you believe in. That's what Gandhi did. He knew that highest truth. And so he began to protest and he'd get arrested. And the officials would say, well, let's see what he uh, pleads with the judge. Let's see if he asks for a light sentence. This will be funny. And then he would ask uh, Gandhi how he pleaded. And he'd say, I plead guilty. And judge, I ask that you have no mercy on me whatsoever. I demand that I be punished to the highest extent of the law. And what was Gandhi doing when he did that? He was pointing out what he knew those men knew already in their hearts, that there was a higher truth that wasn't being honored for him or his people. They never let Gandhi speak in court again, by the way. <laughs> uh, upon release, press and guards would gather around, and they'd, let's see what Gandhi, uh, how he feels about being free Gandhi, how, do you, how does it feel to be free? I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's now that I'm in prison, he'd say. Sometimes we have to fight for that highest truth within ourselves and our lives. But for me, I can always locate the divine by activating it and asking, what is the highest truth of this situation? What is the highest truth of myself? What is this highest truth of this person that I love? And by embodying that highest truth, we found the the what of God. Where is God? The what of God is truth. The where of God is, anybody? Where's God? Everywhere. Everywhere. I like that. Within, there's a lot of good answers. And for the sake of my talk today, I'm saying here. God is here. And when is God? You're all right. I love it all. Now, the where of God is here and the when of God is now. That's something that I love so much about our religious science philosophy, that we honor and love uh, the way that people have understood God in the past through scriptures and books, and we love studying all of that. But our God is, is, is a living God. Our God is a spirit that is alive and active. We'll, we'll even um, entertain some prophesying here or there. But in, the, in the future, but our God is, is here and now. All of the wisdom we seek, all of the love we seek, all the creativity we seek through all the ages is in that eternal now expressing and available to each one of us if we can be present to it. What I know in my own life is when I'm having trouble experiencing the divine, it's not God that's missing from my life. It's, it's my inability to be present. It's me that's missing. Ernest Holmes shares some powerful, prayerful words that I love. Speaking of the divine, he says, Thou art the center and circumference of my life, the beginningless and endless part of me, the eternal reality of me, the everlasting power within me, the eternal good working through me, the infinite love impelling me, the limitless peace and calm within me, the joy of the soul and the light of the spirit illumining me. Oh, Lord God, eternal and forever blessed, thou art my whole being. How about that? Those are some powerful words. Do you believe them? Can you embody them? Because some of you are more confident than I am. I struggle sometimes. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's easy to do in church, but what we want to do is we want to read these, these, these words and then go read the newspaper. And then go uh, into that, that courageous conversation that we have to, to have. I'm going to invite that the words go up uh, one more time. And I, I invite you to say this out loud to yourself or silently to yourself if you, if you so choose. I'm going to say it again too. Thou art the center and circumference of my life, the beginningless and endless part of me, the eternal reality of me, the everlasting power within me, the eternal good working through me, the infinite love impelling me, the limitless peace and calm within me, the joy of the soul and light of the spirit illumining me. O Lord God, eternal and forever blessed, thou art my whole being. Take that with your coffee in the morning. (laughs) And like I was saying before, where my work is, is yes, to continue to cultivate those places where I feel most connected with spirit, but in particular, to invite that connection here and now in those areas where I've shut God out. Is there an area where you're shutting God out of your life? It's very easy for me to feel a connected to the divine when I'm in love with my son, but it's harder when I'm at my wits' end with him. Or it's harder when my wife is at her wits' end with me. Or it's harder when I'm, I'm grappling with a self image of an outdated version of who I am that, that holds me back. Or it's harder when I'm struggling to be right in an argument as opposed to, to living in, in a greater spirit. That, that's the challenge of, of as you believe. Not do you believe sometimes, but can you be in a place of believing even in those places where it is hard and where it is challenging? And if you can do that, you can invite a level of grace, a level of blessing A level of love into your life, into those wounded places for healing, into those incomplete spaces of fear to create courage and warmth, into the heart that becomes fully opened when we live at one with our source. The what of God is truth, the where of God is here, the when of God is now. And then we have the why of God. And for me, the why of God is perhaps the most important because the why of God is love. The why of God is love. Do you have a why for your life? Do you know what your why is? What I know in my life, if for too long, that why is trying to make money or trying to be successful or trying to maintain a a sense of being right in the world and making others wrong. Uh, if if my why is trying to maintain a sense of false comfort in my life. I know I'm losing touch with my creative source, but all I have to do when I feel disconnected is to remember that the real capital W-Y of my life is love. And when I can remember that that's what it's about, I am at one with my source once again. Nietzsche, the great philosopher, once said, when a man knows his why, he can withstand any how. When a man knows his why, he can withstand any how. When you know your why, you can face any obstacle. We don't always get control over the hows of our life. And life sometimes can be very challenging. We have to let go. We have to face death We have to face the challenges of loved ones suffering. We have to face the difficulties that people go through all around the world. But what we can remember and know that as much as people can mess around with the how, no one can ever rob you of your why. No one can ever take from you your reason for living. And when it's love, it's the secret sauce that helps us all move and be and remember why we're here. I love several years ago hearing the story of, of John Jr. and Joe Vigiano, a set of brothers, one a policeman, one a fireman, who, who both died on September 11th at the World Trade Center, heading up to another anniversary of that again. And there was an interview with their father, John, and he, he shared that, that Joe had wanted to be a policeman almost his whole life. So by the time he was 17, he was in the academy, and he was so proud of his son, Joe. His uh, his son, John Jr., had been avoiding almost his whole life being a firefighter. His dad, John Sr., had been a firefighter, and his dad had been a firefighter, and he just wanted to, to make a lot of money. But his father had had throat cancer in the late 1980s, and the way that, that his unit showed up for John Sr. had so inspired John that he decided to, to give himself to that service of being a, a firefighter. And he, he received his grandfather's badge, the number 3436. And John Jr. shares that, well, John, I'm sorry, the father, John Sr. shares that the day before September 11th, his son, Joe called him around 2 p.m., which he did every day. He talked about his day, the weather, all of that. And at the end of the call, he said, he said, I love you, dad. And his dad said, I love you too, son. And that next morning, John Jr. called his dad and and said, Dad, the the World Trade Center's been hit. We're heading over right now. This is the big one. And John Sr. said, Be careful, son. I love you. And his son said, I love you, Dad. And I can't imagine the the feeling of of tragic loss that that, those parents must have felt in losing their, their child's life. And yet at the same time, John Sr. shares that He's able to go to bed at night because he got to share those words or his sons knew that he loved them and he knew that they loved him as well. It doesn't take away the tragedy, but it speaks to that power of love. And I would add as well, you can say I love you to someone you love at any time. It doesn't matter how long they've been gone or what the fractured surface of things may be. But when we remember our why, we can withstand any how. And here were these two young men, 34 and 36, that badge number also being their ages when they passed away, John Sr. noted, who had given themselves to that cause greater than themselves, helping and serving others that couldn't have gone any other way on that day than for those men to be the full-on heroes that they were. And in our life, you know, we're being called to give ourselves to that greater cause, to have a greater belief and to always remember, no matter how bad the diagnosis, how difficult the fracture in the relationship, how unsure or upset with ourselves that we are, that we always have that why, that why of a greater love to remember and embody. So sometime this week, check in with yourself. What is the what of my life? What is the where and when of my life? What is the why of my life? And as you answer those questions, you won't locate, but you will activate the presence of God within you, the presence of the divine that knows who you are, that has sung you into being and will hold you even in the darkest silence, that can never let you go. As you believe, as you believe. Mother Teresa said we only have to give a little of ourselves to God, but when we do, God gives all of himself to us. May we be willing to let go of any part of ourselves that we've been hanging on to, to give into that greater power that can inspire, that can humble us, that can uplift us no matter what. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org. Peace out, friends.